Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Alrighty, I'll tell you what. I'm going to start with this. First of all, I wrote the substack here regarding the Epic Systems Corporation. And again, Epic is the online medical computer database that allows nurses, doctors, in particular nurses, to input a patient's medical records, look up their medical records, the whole shebangabang. Um, I personally believe, and I'm not saying this because I wrote it, I'm just saying that I personally believe that this is an avenue that certainly needs more of an investigation and a deeper investigation than the one that I provide here. Again, at face value, Epic Systems Corporation as a corporation is beyond sketchy, and it really is putting it mildly. This is a big deal here. Again, it goes way past nurses not having the ability to input the fact that they believed that the COVID shots were the cause of the harm that their patients were experiencing. But at face value, Epic as a company is beyond shady. Their CEO and creator back in the 70s, allegedly, is this Judith R. Faulkner. And I have to tell you, this looks like a man. And I've updated the substack from when I released it to include a few more photographs and a few more things that I think are worth considering. Again, you have this Judith Faulkner, if that's their real name, uh, dressed up like Willy Wonka in one of their corporate meetings on their campus, which, by the way, their, their corporate auditorium is massive. And Again, having attended conferences before, it's much this look this looks much like a TED conference. And again, what goes on at TED conferences isn't good, but this certainly isn't either. And then in another picture, they're dressed up like a uh, a Harry Potter wizard with the all-seeing eye behind them with the word clairvoyance underneath it in the pyramid logo, so to speak. So this is not normal. This is not uh this is not your average database company. There's something else going on here without a doubt. In fact, one you know their property is so massive that one of the buildings on their property looks like the hotel from The Shining. I'm not kidding. It really is beyond bizarre. So I'm just going to say this. Here here's the title of this of the Substack article. It's Epic Systems Corporation electronic medical record system in the hospital COVID shot computer fraud. How hospital computer medical record systems kept nurses from inputting, from inputting potential COVID vaccine injuries. Bounce over to the americanclassroom.substack.com and check that out if you would. Move that around wherever you can. I think the more eyes that are on this, the better. This is, uh, this is strange. It's just beyond strange. And again, at face value, it's strange. So that should tell you that if your spidey senses get uh, get tingly, well, that's that's legit. I'll tell you where I put this. I put this on greatawakening.win. It only got about 68 upvotes. I'm shocked because again, this is this is a big piece of the puzzle, but the comments are uh, are telling here. So there were six comments, I'm sorry, five. I'm just going to read a few of these, and again, no one was really, no one was bashing it. People were saying this is this is beyond strange. 
The first one says, please let this blow up. Epic is an evil shit company that basically dominates the EHR, the electronic health record of the hospital industry. If you go to a mid or large-sized large hospital, they probably use Epic, followed by Cerner, then Meditech. The comment below that said, I hope this gets legs, basically tells the story of how the Epic program used the hospitals, prevented the nurses and the doctors from reporting the truth. Another one said this, and this is interesting too. They said, coincidentally, I got contacted by a recruiter for them the other day. I knew nothing about them, and I really need a better job. The listing said it started at sixty to $70,000 range, and their benefits look pretty good too. I didn't bother with the application once I saw that a COVID vaccination is required. And I would have had to relocate to Wisconsin. I already live in the north. I'd rather live south for work, if anything. Another person then linked the CEO and the founder of Epic being Judith Faulkner. And again, the pictures would indicate that this is a man. Not, not only that, but a man who dresses up like Willy Wonka and, uh, and a Harry Potter wizard on what is beyond a strange-looking campus that has to be, I mean, calling it a multi-million dollar campus with multiple buildings and clearly living quarters and a thousand other things, this is not normal. This is a cult. It looks like a cult. And that's putting it mildly, too. So people need to dive into this. This is a big deal. And, you know, I'm only one guy, but I was able to pick up on a trend. And again, that trend simply had to do with nurses saying that they were trying to access the Epic system and they were accessing the system, but it was purposefully what looked like purposefully not letting them access drop down menus that basically it would allow them to say, yes, this is potentially jab related. Yes, the patient is jabbed and we have a problem here because all of these patients coming in sick and with numerous symptoms, some of which are very similar to one another are all among the jabbed. So this is computer fraud. This had to be coordinated. This is not an accident. Not to mention Cerner is one of the other databases, essentially, that was used, and Epic bought them out. So Cerner no longer exists. Now it's just Epic. So they have to get everybody on the exact same database using the exact same program, which can be manipulated essentially by one person. I don't think this is accidental. Again, the entire campus looks like a, looks like a cult, and it looks like a crime scene. It looks like terrible, terrible things happen there. Not just brainwashing and indoctrination and a thousand other things. It just, it's beyond strange. So, wanted to bring that to your attention again. I recommend bouncing over to the AmericanClassroom.substack.com and checking that out. Okay, here we go. I wanted to make mention of this too. Kim Carter, by the way, is doing well after her whistleblowing experience there for not wanting to follow along with the mask mandates and enforce the mask mandates, and then, of course, questioning the entire flu shot rollout at uh, Select Medical there in Christ Hospital. She's doing very well. She's been offered numerous jobs, and it looks like she's going to take at least one of them. She's trying to feel them out, basically for the one that gives her the most freedom. And again, these have to do with, I believe, home care 
uh, positions, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a good thing. She doesn't have to be jabbed. She doesn't have to wear a mask. And hopefully she'll have the freedom to even introduce a number of different other therapeutics that are over the counter to particular individuals who may or may not be jabbed and may or may not be suffering. So that's a good thing. Not to mention, she'll have the freedom to hopefully report back here and let us all know what's going on and what she's experiencing. And, you know, that's on the ground intel. I mean, that kind of stuff is priceless. And she's remarkably objective, so she's not going to inflate anything. And she's certainly not going to lie about anything either. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm happy for her, and I'm glad that uh, that everything is working out, and she's been offered jobs, and that's a beautiful thing. So if you prayed for her, there you go. Your prayers helped, without a doubt, and God is moving her in the right direction. I have no doubt about that. And God's going to place her right where she belongs so that she can help all of us. She loves doing that, and, and that comes innately to her, so that's a beautiful thing. Merry Christmas there, no doubt. Okay, let me move on to this too. Uh, you know, the other day I decided to turn on the television, and wow, the things you see, it really is remarkable. And when you have the eyes to see it and the mind to understand what's actually going on, it's beyond bizarre. I decided to watch about 10 minutes of Monday Night Football. And wow, was it strange. First of all, I immediately started to pick up on a couple of calls that got made during the Monday night football game that were instantly that were instantly odd, in particular when I think the Eagles were in scoring position, and then all of a sudden, instead of getting a touchdown, they were limited to a field goal. I found that weird. Again, they were about to go up 14 to nothing, and it turned out just to be 10 to nothing. But the refs were making some calls and penalizing them when there weren't penalties. Uh, and even the, even the announcers, who are Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman, even they thought it was strange. And they even commented on it, and they would replay it. And then, sure enough, they were like, yeah, we don't see a penalty here at all. We don't know what's going on. Anyway, back to the game. And then they just went on to the very next play. So there was that, which I thought was bizarre. But again, it's fixed. And that's really all you have to do to fix one of these games. You have to call a penalty when a team is in scoring position or on the goal line, and then it just pushes them back. Well, that changes the entire dynamic of the game. It goes from being inches to scoring seven points to, oops, uh, we can't get the ball in the end zone now, so now we're limited to potentially three points. Again, Bookies love that kind of stuff, and it, and it changes the outcome of the game without a doubt. And as it turned out, the uh, the Seahawks ended up winning on what was a last-minute touchdown throw. So you've heard me talk about the fixing of sports. And, you know, years ago I read a couple of books about it, one of which was a rather old book, I think written back in the 80s, called Interference. You know, this is how it gets done now. This is just how it gets done, and, and it's always gotten done this way. You know, a ticky-tack penalty here, uh, nobody knows why it occurred, and then before you know it, it changes the outcome of a score, makes the score closer than it was going to be, and again, bookies tend to enjoy that. The other thing, too, and I noticed this again watching, watching just 10 minutes of this game, and uh, and I, like I said, I don't watch I don't watch football by and large. I certainly don't watch it at all, nor any sport. But I'll catch the occasional bowl game every now and again. Uh, they now have what I noticed are referees 
running up to the other sideline referees. And the referees that are running up to the sideline referees have earpieces in. They have an entire headset. And those headsets are attached to other individuals who are referees who are in a booth or somewhere, clearly looking at the sideline footage of whether or not a first down has been made or not. And you can actually watch this. And I'm sure, you know, if you watch sports, you've seen this long before I have, but they run up to the sideline ref and basically go, hang on, let me see if this is a first down, and then you can make the correct play. It's like a referee, essentially, for a referee being monitored by a room full of referees looking at monitors to decide whether or not the call on the field is accurate or not, so they say. It really is not, uh, I, I don't know what I'm watching. I don't know what it is. You're watching a bureaucracy control a bureaucracy instead of an individual on the ground just go, yeah, that's a first down. I mean, I've noticed even, too, that they have first down cameras. They have a pylon on the sideline with a first down camera now. I mean, I I noticed whatever that was, a year or two ago, maybe, that they have pylon cameras now at the end zone to determine whether or not the ball crosses the line or you know, whether or not it's a fumble or a thousand other things. But now they have it at every first down marker. But they not only have that, like I said, <laughs> they have this guy that runs up wearing the, wearing the stripes, the pinstripes. He's an actual ref. He's running up to the ref to tell him whether or not it's a first down when it's really that ref's job to determine whether or not it's a first down, and you have a camera and a room full of guys looking at other footage. It's just, it's, it's the illusion of individuality. It's the illusion of objectivity. It's just this, again, it's this albatross of, of referees all, you know, trying to make one decision immediately in a split second now. It's exhausting. It really is exhausting. I I can't believe that anybody watches it and actually believes what they're watching is fair. It it's it's just it's fixed. It's all fixed. So I don't know. Just wanted to make mention of that. Oh yeah, there was this too. Of course, I saw this commercial. This is kind of big. Uh, apparently, ESPN has their own betting system now. Did you know this? It's called ESPN Bet. I mean, honest to God, you have, I I can't keep the smile off my face. (laughs) I can't stop from laughing. This is just, it's too, it's too obvious that it's, that it's fixed. It's too obvious. You have DraftKings, right? I think you still have DraftKings. You have FanDuel or one of them bought up the other. I'm not sure. But now you have an actual sports related network. And a, a sports analysis network that actually has its own betting system. Not to mention, they're a channel that airs sports. And now they have their own betting system. How long has this existed? I mean, I, don't, I honestly don't know. How long has ESPN had its own betting system? And again... Why does anybody believe that what they're watching is fair or not fixed? 
when the actual station itself has its own betting system. So, I don't know. I think it's disgusting. <laughs> and why anybody's buying into it and actually believing what they're watching? I mean, holy shit. You know, this is, this is fraudulent at face value. It's like the Epic system. It's, like, it's just like the Epic, uh, it's, I mean, it's gaslighting. It's just like looking at the Epic campus and going, that's strange. Your owner is dressing up like Harry Potter and Willy Wonka with an all-seeing eye behind them. ESPN, as a station, has its own betting system. Why do, why do people think that this is okay? Why do people just blindly buy into this and, and not see that it's clearly fixed? I don't know. Again, it's gaslighting 101. It's gaslighting to the nth degree. We're not cheating. Trust us. We're broadcasting all these sports and we're broadcasting all of this information and we're making it sound like, you know, the X's and O's and statistics matter. Oh, by the way, don't forget to place your bets on ESPN bet. <laughs> Holy Lord. This is just awful. It's awful. Now, here's what I have. I have a bunch of education stuff as well. And I'm going to start. I have some audio to play too, uh, but I, I want to start with this. Sicily threw this my way, a little bit of an update regarding the Idaho University or University of Idaho. Here we go, University of Idaho. Uh, remember that murder, allegedly, of the four students who all lived together in the same house and they were miraculously all stabbed to death and uh, there were no signs of a struggle and apparently this one person was able to stab four people to death without anybody else hearing it? And then they just plucked this guy out of nowhere and then said he was the one who did it, and they arrested him, and then now he's being charged for murder. A Brian Koberger. As it turns out, and this is from Fox News, that the mother of one of the murder victims, quote-unquote, is fighting to keep the King Road house intact, the actual house where the alleged murder took place. Uh, I have to tell you, First of all, the whole thing is beyond strange to me. It was back then. In fact, it was a story that I just glossed over and didn't even pay any attention to. And then our Louisiana educator alerted me to it and said, you might want to take a look at this. It's, it's pretty strange. And I did, and it's still strange to me. I still can't put my finger on what exactly occurred or what did not happen. But I find it interesting that the town and the university want the house destroyed. And apparently in court, one of the mothers of a so-called victim is doing whatever they can to try to keep the home from not being destroyed because they don't want evidence to be destroyed. Now again, you would think that they would have all the evidence that they would need. At the exact same time, however, it feels a bit like Sandy Hook. Even though, again, this happened a year ago, and that Sandy Hook book depository was torn down 48 hours later, after the non-murder that occurred. I have some Sandy Hook news later on, too, by the way, that I'll get to. But either way, it says that experts have told Fox News Digital that the university's bid to demolish the building is a decision that prioritizes the school's aim to move on, quote-unquote, above the potential impact at first-hand look at the crime scene could have our jurors in the case against suspect Brian Koberger. So the parent, Kara Northington, whose 20-year-old daughter Zanna Kerndole 
was stabbed to death alongside three friends in the early morning hours of November 13th, 2022. Uh, They said the following, My daughter was murdered in that house and there's no way they should be destroying any evidence. Demolition is set to begin on December 28th. And according to a petitioner, they basically said that tearing down the house could hinder a fair path to justice. It is critical that all evidence remains intact until after his trial concludes. I certainly don't doubt that. I just personally don't know what happened here. I really don't. Some of the media coverage was beyond hanky. Some of the pictures were beyond hanky. And one of the pictures, which was beyond strange, which I can't get out of my mind, was the fact that they showed a picture of the siding of the house on the outside with blood leaking through the siding of the house. I mean, that's impossible. There could be buckets and buckets of blood inside of a home. It wouldn't leak through the foundation of the actual house and through the siding. It was clearly planted there to make it look like that had been the case. Again, I don't know what took place here. Is it possible that these people were were kidnapped and sold into sex slavery? I don't know. Were they were they murdered in another way and kidnapped somewhere else? I don't know. Um I just I, I just think that this whole story at face value is beyond strange. And I just don't believe the face value story. That's that's about all I can say. So there's that. Okay. Let me get into this here. A few uh A few stories from the past. In fact, I have some audio that I'll play right now. The Oxford, Michigan, Oxford County, Michigan School District, the Oxford School District, as you know, has been something that I've brought up on the show from time to time, certainly over the last couple of years since the Crumbly shooting. And Sandy Adams and uh, and Jesse James have been on the show to discuss it as well. And I was on his show not that long ago, a week or so ago discussing, uh, again, this very thing with Truth for Oxford and some of the citizens that are there and the individuals that run that organization. I watched the beginning of the last board meeting that they had, which was on December 18th. Uh, This is really getting more odd with every passing day. And it's unfortunate because what we're seeing, of course, is their school district engage in these special meetings when they're bringing in these superintendent spokespeople that are allegedly representing superintendents and their own search firm, whether they, again, be an individual working for a larger organization or they are uh, you know, working for themselves. Either way, the way that the meeting broke down was at the very beginning, they allow for an individual to show up and essentially complain about the entire process and what's going on and the selection and, and what have you. And I'm going to play her audio. Uh, at the exact same time, then, the, the vast majority, the meat of the entire meeting is this individual who is a, a black woman, and she apparently represents one of these hiring firms that represents superintendents. So she's there pitching her entire thing, which I didn't watch in its entirety, but I can take a guess as to who she is pitching for and what kind of a person she's pitching. And then at the exact same time, at the end of the meeting, then that's when they allow for public comments again. And at least four individuals come back and make comments, and one of them is the returning female from the very beginning of the meeting. Here's the sad part. The sad part for me 
is that what we're watching here is a bureaucracy that doesn't care about public input under the guise of caring about public input. And then we're watching traumatized individuals who are trying to get a hold of something that they cannot control. They're never going to get answers to any questions that they ask. It doesn't matter how many people show up. It doesn't matter how many individuals, uh, again, are there trying to wrap their arms around something and, and feel, you know, feel better about the situation. They have to walk away from the school district. It's the only answer. It's the only solution. And again, I'm going to play some of this audio, but the woman who speaks at the beginning and, and then again she speaks at the end, and she's sort of the bookend uh, speaker when it comes to the individual who works for the firm or, again, like I said, represents herself looking for a superintendent for the district. This woman says that we need to find a superintendent who is trained in trauma-based education and trauma-based environments and, and knows how to fix an environment like this and what to do to, you know, uh, I don't know, heal everybody, so to speak. You can't find that person. That's called a therapist, number one. And number two, that's not the job of a superintendent. The job of a superintendent isn't to do any of those things. That's why you see all of the patch jobs that all the other superintendents everywhere tend to do when something like this actually happens. When there's an actual murder on a school, you know, in a school on a campus, so to speak, or certainly within the district, uh, you know, they engage in all of the ridiculous things that they do, like clear backpacks, new paint on the wall, new carpet. Don't worry that there was a murder here, but now there's a commemorative couch with all the murder victims' names on it to, you know, make everybody somehow feel better, when in fact, the entire environment is and has always been dangerous by design. It's not going to matter who they hire. It isn't going to matter who they bring in. It, it doesn't matter. And again, I've been over it on the show, and I, was, I went over it on, on Jesse James's show as well. They've picked the superintendent already, or at the very least, they've narrowed it down to two people who want to work there. I guarantee everybody else has either bowed out and they're, and they're just not interested, but you've, they probably have two individuals that have already been picked by these firms because these firms talk to each other. But you're not going to get somebody in there who's, who's going to do the right thing. They're globalists, all of them. They say so. These firms say so when it comes to picking these superintendents. The superintendent associations that these superintendents are members of are trained to be DEI-SEL globalists. That, that's, that's what it is. The only way that you make a school district collapse is by your immediate removal from, of yourself and your children from that district. That's it. I mean, it really is Stockholm Syndrome. You have individuals who have been abused, lied to time and time again. And they're consistently going back to the environment, and they're even sympathizing with some of the people who went along with it in the first place and continue to go along with it. And they go, look, I understand you have a hard decision to make, and this is tough, and it's hard on the community, and we want the right thing to happen. And yes, they're critical of the board members. They even say, look, three of you are elected officials, and the other two are just appointees. Why are the appointees even here? They need to go home. 
mean, that's a nice comment, but you need to make everybody go home. And the way that you do that is by unenrolling your children and never returning. It's that simple. These are brainwashed, globalist, you know, do-gooders. They're not, they're never going to change. This is who they are. So you have to walk away from them. It'll bankrupt them overnight. And as you've heard me say, because I've been over the entire process numerous times on the show, the state officials will then come down to the local level. They'll say, what the hell's going on here? No one's showing up. We, we, we got to change something. And they'll get rid of all of the board members. They'll get rid of all of them. They'll have to start from scratch. They'll fire the treasurer. They'll get rid of everybody. But then they'll put in their own people. And that's going to make it even worse than it already is. Because they're going to, they're just going to bring down Michigan State Department of Education employees, and they're going to pay them to fill in these positions temporarily, and then hire a superintendent, which they'll hire the one they want, not the one you want, thinking again that there's some difference between those two when there isn't. And then what? You're back to square one. You're right back to where you started. You have board members you don't like. You have a superintendent you don't like in a school district that sucks. That isn't holding anybody accountable for for any of their missteps or misdeeds and still employs the individuals who engaged in contract-breaking behavior and broke not only their contracts but their codes of conduct. What are you expecting to change? So, again, you know, I, I find meetings like this to be exhausting. Because they're not learning. And they're not learning, unfortunately, because they've been traumatized. And they're being abused. And they, they're used to the abuse. So they just keep showing up, expecting to not be abused anymore. And they keep getting abused, and then they keep walking away feeling abused, and then they show back up again, accepting, you know, accepting something different to change. So I want, I want you to hear the voice of this first speaker. And again, you'll hear her frustration with the board, and rightfully so. but. It's sad because she's trying to get a hold of something that she'll never, ever control. So here's that audio in three, two, one. So we're here to talk about the uh, superintendent search. So on that, we had, I had printed your advertisement for that position. And you're going to have to give me a few minutes here to get organized. I was detained out there. So I printed it out, and this is what was on the website. And it's, it's surreal when I read it, how you describe the community. And I won't go into a lot of detail about it, but you talk about it serves over 7,000 students. You know, I think you need to be honest and say how many district students there are. There are substantially less district students and that you've created um, a business here of educating non-district students. And I, for one, want to keep our superintendent for a right size for our district. And I don't need a superintendent for 7,000. I need a superintendent for the less than 4,000 students we have here. So I'd like you to consider that. I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, Talk about the 11 schools and 855 employees. 855 employees for less than four or 5,000 district students. It just seems excessive. Uh, IB authorized school, I don't think that's a priority right now. I think we need to focus on our core education. Um, 
and recovery of the students we have. I think we need to scale back and work on what's important. Uh, model global learning environment. Again, I think you need to recalibrate. I think you're out of touch. It says that you have all of these education awards from the MASB um, and a school board standard of excellence. I don't know if you've been listening to the committee for the past two years. I don't know what you're excellent in, honestly. Um, Oxford Virtual Academy, again, something that's geared towards non-district students. It may or may not have merit, but it's not a focus. Uh, you talk about the Oxford International Program. What international program are we talking about? And a virtual international program where we have foreign students receiving VIP treatment, these are your words, and 480 online courses um, with support of teacher mentors using our resources. This is, doesn't benefit us, right? I'd like to focus again on our district students and our recovery and work on that other than putting foreign students into our schools and into our education system who actually compete against our schools or our, our kids for scholarships and college placements. There's, there's no benefit here. And there's absolutely no benefit in online education for them. I say, yeah, I'd like you to stop using our resources and be honest with the person coming in that a great majority of this community is not in favor of that. Right? I think you paint a very false picture of what's going on here. And you talk about the early college program. I mean, that school in itself has been closed down, right? It doesn't really exist anymore. So I don't know where they get this information from, but it's it's not a picture of our quaint little community that you, you posted here. I'm gonna finish with just this. You need to find a superintendent who has experience in crisis, trauma, recovery, critical incident recovery, and someone who has a strong history of collaboration between the community, the board, and the superintendent, and who has shown that, that they have that strength and ability to pull everyone together and have an open mind and open ears and restore the trust that this community needs so much and work on the recovery services that these kids need. And so I think that's what you need to put in these ads. Thank you. Thank you. So again, she raises a good point because she's going through the district's advertisement for the position and she catches the district manipulating the entire makeup of the district by saying, well, we have these services when in fact they don't, saying we have these many students when in fact they don't. Yeah. Yeah. School districts lie. They lie all the time. They're in the business of trying to make it look like they're better than they are all of the time. This is what they do. They're pathological liars. People haven't figured this out yet. And you're talking about a school district that had a murder of four people at the hands of another, which was brought about also by the negligence of school employees and not doing what they're supposed to do. You know, because of diversity, equity, and inclusion, because of that entire Marxist mentality of let's not hold people accountable, let's not expel people, let's not investigate, let's not get to the bottom of a real problem here, and then actually have a just conclusion to said problem. Murder is, is an inevitability. That's going to be what occurs every single time. But again, you can hear it in her voice. She firmly believes that the district has to exist. She wants it to exist. She wants everything to be fixed and go back to normal. And then, of course, she mentions the term, you know, uh, global initiatives. 
And she says, that doesn't make any sense. I think you're out of touch. As it turns out, and it's remarkably unfortunate, they're very in touch because that's the, that's the mainstream wavelength of thought among everyone in the education profession now is, what's the cliche phrase? I heard it when I was in graduate school too many times to even count. Think globally, act locally. It's one of the dumbest, most globalist, one-world government phrases or sayings that I've ever heard in my life. And that's exactly what it is. It's intentionally ingrained into everyone's mind in the education business that they need to think locally and act globally. That means do what the people at the top tell you to do and do it at the local level. That's it. It's always meant that. Still means that. So, again, this woman is trying to pick up mercury with a fork. She's not going to be able to do it, not ever. She has to walk away from the entire apparatus, the, the entire district. I don't know her position. I don't know, you know, her stake in the game here. I just know that without a complete removal from a school district in mass, nothing is ever going to change. It'll just never change. People have to educate themselves as families. Your home needs to be not only your castle, but your own school. Learning is a lifelong activity, as you all know. It's not something where we need brick and mortar in order to do it, and we don't need a bell, and we don't need recess, and we don't need you know, cafeteria time or socialization with Becky, Sally, and Timmy. We, we don't need any of that. We just learn for the sake of learning because learning is survival. But here she is trying to rely on government and trying to get government to do what she wants. Government just laughs back at you. They always laugh in your face when you try to get them to do what you want. All the people on that board, they all have orders. They're indoctrinated too. It doesn't matter what side of the so-called political aisle they sit on. Nothing will change. Let me, let me play this next piece of audio to prove that point. I'm just going to play the introduction to this woman who is, again, representing some superintendents who are going to be considered, if she ends up getting hired as, uh, as the superintendent firm, so to speak. But she's, again, selling herself as to why uh, you know, the, the district needs to hire her and, and hire her so-called expertise. She herself has been a former school teacher, principal, superintendent, and like I said, she works with, just like they all do, all these superintendent organizations at the state and national level. So here is her introduction in audio, just a little bit of it anyway. Again, she spoke for the vast majority of the meeting. It was about an hour and a half, but uh, here's that audio in three, two, one. Item number five, Board of Education Matters, Superintendent Search Planning Discussion. And today we have with us uh, Serena from Hazard Young Atia. And I will hand it over to you to kind of walk us through our agenda of items uh, that were posted to Board Book. Welcome, by the way. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet all of you in person. I think you knew me virtually, so I want to first start with introducing myself. Um, my name is Dr. Serena Shivers, and I am a search consultant for HYA. During the day, I am the deputy for Michigan Superintendents Association. 
I am a former superintendent here in Michigan. I was a superintendent for five years in Southeast Michigan. Um, I also was here at one point in time in Oakland County. I was the curriculum director in Southfield before I became the assistant superintendent for five years for Washtenaw Intermediate School District. Um, I've been a transportation director. I've been a teacher. I've been a principal. I still say my favorite job was a principal, but I absolutely love what I do. Um, not just working with the superintendents across the state of Michigan, but I also lead two aspiring superintendents um, institutes nationally. One for AASA, which is the National Superintendent Association, and another organization by the name of IEI. Um, I lead their aspiring superintendents academy as well. And we pull in um, leaders that are aspiring to either central office or one day the superintendency from across the country. This is my 31st year in public education, and I am a Michigan resident. I was asked earlier where am I from. I grew up in Midland, um, also in the Saginaw area, but I currently reside outside of Ann Arbor. So that's where I drove the treacherous <laughs> two plus hours to join you all tonight. Um, my goal tonight is to walk you through the planning document um, with the hopes of us making some determinations on some of the areas that we need to move the search uh, further. So I'm going to ask that you follow along with me on the planning document, and I am literally going to go item by item, okay? <clears throat> the first item, which I've already done, is introductions. But what I want to make sure that you all know that there is a board portal. And if you haven't received access to the board portal or if any point in time you have challenges getting into the board portal, please reach out to me directly. You may also reach out to Mike. I think you all met Mike. Um, and if neither one of us you can get into, Angela will be able to reach both of us. She has me now on cell speed dial, so she can reach out to me as well. The second um, is the contacts during the search. So you see there that each of the board members are listed as well as um, your email addresses. I and Mike serve as your search liaisons. Um, and we, this group, will continue to work together with communication flowing to, from us to the board portal as we finalize documents, as we finalize the board profile, as we finalize the superintendent search documents, as we finalize um, the survey uh, focus groups, all of those things will be in the board portal for you to be able to access. Moving now um, on to page two of that document, you see the entire HYA search firm team. Mike is listed, then myself. Um, that is my direct cell phone number, so you can reach me by texting me or calling me um, there. But I also check my HYA um, email constantly throughout the day. Um, number three has already been completed. That is the agreement, and I believe you all have a copy of the agreement with you all tonight. Number four is really what we're doing tonight, which is reviewing the search process from beginning to end. Number five is just a statement that um, is very common in superintendent searches, and that just means that the candidates would remain confidential until you select them for an interview, and then they become public. So 35 people apply. We don't release those 35 names, but the six candidates that you may choose from that slate of 35, for example, to interview, those would become public. So people are remained or have to know that they will remain anonymous and confidential until they have been selected to be interviewed. That's number five. 
Number six um, is scheduling the interviews with board members. So those um, interviews last anywhere from about 15 to 30 minutes. Um, I'm in the process right now of conducting some interviews, and I would say that they um, have consistently not gone over 30 minutes. They can be done either by phone or by um, Zoom, and they are individual. So it would either be myself or Mike or another HYA associate that we will schedule those with you all. And I think we're looking to start those after winter break. So we'll get into some dates in just a moment. Focus group. I want to stop here for just a moment and give you a chance to look at that list. Um, this is a suggested list of focus groups, but this is where we start to really personalize this process for your community. Um, and so we don't have to have all of the answers tonight, but I would like to stop and pause here and let you all take a look at this list and see if there's something that's already jumping out at you that's missing from this list. And we will begin to gather all of these names of organizations, groups of people, individuals that you want us to interview as part of this process. So I'll stop for a moment and let you digest. And please feel free um, to just start talking if you see that there's something you want me to add. I'm going to stop it there. And, and here's why I played all of that. I played all of that in, in her running down of the entire process because that, that's a process that a lot of people don't understand. It is a long process. In fact, it's a process that is very similar to selecting a university president. These individuals come from a pool of candidates that, that is large. And there are firms that basically organize all of these names and interview some of these people to figure out who's interested in the position and who is not. And then again, there, you know, it's, it's more than one interview, essentially, for a superintendent. They're being interviewed by these firms that they're associated with themselves, that they are a part of and have been trained by and grown in and a thousand other things. Because again, it's a closed system. It's a closed secret society. They know who they want for the position. They hand select these individuals beforehand as a firm, and then they start to weed through what they think as a firm would be a better fit. And then ultimately, they arrive at this large list, which, as you heard, is 35 some odd people. And then you narrow it down to six, and then you narrow it down to two, and then you pick one. But they already know who the six are going to be, they already know who the two are going to be. And then ultimately, one will clearly stand out over the other. And then there's that focus group portion, which she described, which is, again, where the public gets to ask the superintendent candidate a number of questions in the public forum, and certainly during a formal meeting, and basically just say, okay, what is it that you would do here? Do you know what's been going on here? Are you aware of all the trouble and blah, blah, blah? The superintendent is never going to disagree with the public. They'll never disagree. You're talking about an individual who wants to get paid a quarter of a million dollars a year. At least. Why would they disagree with the public? They're going to tell the public everything the public wants to hear. They're going to nod their head constantly. They're going to nod their head in agreement with the public so much, their neck's going to hurt. And they're going to have to go to the chiropractic office. It'll get tiring for them. But they'll always agree, and the public will believe that one candidate is somehow better than the other. This is where they're getting gaslit. 
my final comment on it is this. People, again, people don't typically understand that the superintendent associations and the superintendents that are available within these associations to school districts are basically grown in the matrix. So if you've seen the movie The Matrix, you know the scene I'm talking about, a very famous scene in the movie and in philosophy where Neo wakes up. And he wakes up and he pops his arms out of the gel and he's covered in slime and he's still got all the cords hooked to him and he wipes the goo away from his eyes and then he starts to look around and everybody is in a pot of goo. That he thought he was a, a real person when in fact he was plugged into the Matrix and all of these people are just being born and bred and grown inside of a pod from the time that they're a baby. It isn't any different with superintendents and administrators. Same process, same thing metaphorically. They're grown within these superintendent associations. They go through all the training. They go through all the verbiage. They have to agree with all of it. Think locally, act globally. Or think globally, act locally. However you want to phrase it. Back and forth, time and time again. DEI, yes, social-emotional learning is arguably the most impactful thing we can do for kids. These I mean, they just say the same shit every single time. And if the wind blows in one direction, well, then they go with it. If it changes directions, they all go with it. There's no individuality. You can't be an individual and be a superintendent. It doesn't work that way. You're a slave. To be a superintendent and make that amount of money, you're usually dumb and you're a slave. That's it. So keep that in mind. That's not going to change. And I can't wait to actually see how this all pans out in their school district because, again, the public is being misled. They're being yanked around, and they have no idea that the homeschooling family doesn't require government, that the homeschooling family doesn't need the political games and the bureaucracy and the corruption that the Oxford School District is providing everybody. They don't need it. They're just watching these meetings and laughing. In fact, the stories that I'm going to cover now specifically tie to this lack of control. And how the naive local individual who comes up to the microphone and says the same thing meeting after meeting after meeting, they have no idea how large the octopus is. They have no idea how long the tentacles are and how far they stretch. Let me start getting into this and give you more examples. Many months ago, you, you may recall that I brought up how the WHO the World Health Organization, sorry, specifically has an entire curriculum on the sexualization of children within K-12 schools in America and all around the world. This is not an accident. This is the octopus. This is one of the tentacles. The WHO is one of the tentacles attached to the brain of the octopus that's running the whole show. It's not a superintendent. A superintendent is one of the suction cups on the tentacle. And there are multiple suction cups. That's what these, again, that's what these individuals don't understand. It's a criminal racket. It's not run by one person. It's run by individuals that you've never met that you'll never meet. 
and everybody down low is just a useful idiot because they're going along with it because they're told this is the latest, greatest thing in education. So this comes from, from Voice for Europe, I'm sorry, voiceofeurope.com, Early Sexualization Program, WHO Pushes for Guidance on Sexuality for Young Children. Again, this is just from the other day, one day ago. It says the WHO is facing significant criticism for its new guidance or urging parents and educators to initiate discussions on adult topics with children from birth, quote unquote. The controversial guide promoting sexuality for toddlers encourages rather parents to explore gender identities for their infants. Again, this isn't a new thing. They want to they convince board members, superintendents, building administrators, and even parents that letting children pretend to be a gender they're not is normal, so much so that the entire environment encourages, the, encourages them to pretend. And then ultimately, what does that lead to? We know what it leads to, them cutting their genitals off or killing themselves. This is a UNWHO, UNESCO-driven ideology. It's Marxist, it's satanic, it's all of those things, because that's who they are. That's what they are. The first woman you heard speaking, do you think she knows that? Does she actually understand what I just said? No, she can't get her hands wrapped around this. This is the enemy. The WHO needs to be firebombed with every employee inside. One bomber goes right over top of it and levels it. That's it. No more WHO. And then some other pop-up group will happen, and they'll try to carry out the exact same plan. You find out where those people are, and you firebomb that building too with everybody inside. Or you could just walk away from the school district and make everybody panic and do that permanently. I could have misheard the first woman speaking, but I think she said something like, Home learning programs aren't her concern, and that's not what serves the greatest needs of the students in the district. I disagree. Home learning is the only way to go. Individualized home learning from the family teaching their own children is the only way to go. Saw a meme the other day. It was great. It was, it was, uh, it was three kids and a mother, and they're stacking hay bales. And they said, this is what we do when we homeschool. They, they read books for a couple of hours a day, and then we work on the farm. And they plant, and they, they have chores that they do all day long, and that's what they do. They clean the house and landscape the yard and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because that's called life. That's living. That's a healthy way to live. And that has immediate direct application to being a full-grown adult, because you have to do the same things when you're an adult. The stuff that you learn in school has no application to being an adult. Not anymore. It's over with. So that leads me to this now. You may recall that in the last episode, I brought up the Westerville City School District and how they're, of course, all manipulated and they don't know it, which is why they're the useful idiots too. But... They specifically brought up this health-related program that they have going on for all grades 6 through 12 that, they have to, that these children have to receive every flipping year, and that it involved violence prevention, suicide prevention, and then social inclusion. 
And then they said that they got together with their health teachers in the district and they agreed to go with the Sandy Hook program. Now, they didn't define specifically what the Sandy Hook program is, but here's what it is, and I looked it up, and it's not surprising. It's the Sandy Hook Promise Learning Center. This, too, is a giant racket. You have to keep in mind, too, that the state of Ohio is moving further and further away from diversity, equity, and inclusion, which means school districts, by law, have to do away with that bullshit also. But are they really going to do away with it? No, they don't. They just change the name of what it is, and they outsource their education to a group without actually diving deep into the group, although they know what they're doing. They're always trying to hide the diversity, equity, and inclusion nonsense, which we know eliminates white people and, and brings in this globalist, one-world government total control thing. While, again, fraudulent individuals like Nicole Hockley and the rest of those fake parents at Sandy Hook end up making money hand over fist. So here's the program. And it actually says diversity, equity, and inclusion on their website. SandyHookPromiseLearning.org. You can register, log in, get started. There's a digital library, and they have four steps here. There's get started, start with a hello, say something, and then say something ARS, whatever the hell that means. Plan, train, engage, celebrate, and grow. And again, this is from Nicole Hockley and Mark Barden, these two fake parents who you can see in their face they're lying. These are not parents of kids who were killed at Sandy Hook. So there's that, and this is where it says DEI on their actual website, sandyhookpromise.org. If you get on this website and you type on the Our Programs section, at the very top it says, Know the signs save lives. People who are at risk of hurting themselves or others often show warning signs before the act of violence takes place. Learn how to spot the signs and do something about it safely. If you keep scrolling down, all the way to the bottom. It says diversity, equity, and inclusion. It says Sandy Hook Promise strives to ensure its work environment, programmatic work, and culture reflect the values of race, equity, diversity, and inclusion, or REDI. Sandy Hook Promise is a, re is a recognized top-rated nonprofit organization. I'm sure they are. This is it. So Westerville City Schools is doubling down on diversity, equity, and inclusion within another program where they're using word manipulation to hide it the best they can by calling a third of their program social inclusion. This is not good, ladies and gentlemen. They're turning these into they're turning these environments into mental institutions and, and absolute cults. That's what this is. It's a cult. And Nicole Hockley is a cult member, along with the other fake Sandy Hook parents and all of them. They're all in on it. They're all in on the lie. It could be, too, that Nicole Hockley and the rest of those fake Sandy Hook parents are actually brainwashed. It could be that they are products of the CIA. They're all uh, either Mockingbird, brainwashed, or MK Ultrad. Certainly, I would say MK Ultra, but uh, I mean, that's highly possible. 
because they've got these individuals lying pathologically about a child that they claim to have lost, that they didn't lose, and then they're selling their lie to minors and gullible adults and so on and so on. It's beyond strange. I want, the, I want these fake Sandy Hook parents to hang for their crimes. This is, this is fraud. It's fraud. And they've been stealing from people based on a lie. That's what that is. That's a crime. That's a serious crime. Here's another example of why you need to get out and, and get as far away from these, uh, these environments as humanly possible. Gateway Pundit, sorry for the reference. Uh, Texas Board of Education votes to keep sexually explicit books out of school libraries. Now, the headline alone, people would go, yeah, Texas, good for you. You figured it out. No. Nope. Where do you think these books are going to go? They pull them out of the libraries. Great. Great. Is that going to be, I mean, is that going to be it for these books? Of course not. There are still going to be school-based clubs. Groups and organizations that will now pop up like weeds in the middle of a, of a nuclear war, and they will have these books on hand for students who want to participate. Again, if a student wants to read a gay book about two cartoon dudes having sex with each other, they can do that anytime they want. They can buy it on Amazon anytime they want. I mean, you're not going to find a factual book in a library, in, in a school library anyway. Certainly not one talking about real science and real history. But again, I understand at face value, it looks like a positive inroad. Congratulations. There's no longer going to be these kinds of books in Texas libraries and schools. That, that's great. It doesn't mean that they're not going to exist in your local town library. It doesn't mean that they can't buy them on Amazon and, and look at them anytime that they want there too. They can do all of those things. So what does, again, what does it do for these organizations, these DEI clubs and these Sandy Hook promise things and blah, blah, blah? All it does is, is it causes them to go a little further underground for a little while. They change their words, and then they resell their new language and their new lingo back to the public in a, in a different way to make it sound like, no, we're not diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're just about this. And again, one of the tactics that they use is they always try to make it sound more academic now than it ever used to be. That this kind of stuff really increases the academic achievement. And I mean, they grab onto the coattails of academic achievement because they know that that's a school district's bottom line. They're well aware of that. So they always are trying to sell whatever gay program they have as being academically sound, and it's somehow going to increase the academic success in all the other subjects that a student takes. And that's not true either. It's just a con game. But that's because they're con artists. They're not good at it. I mean, they fool a lot of people, like, you know, the Oxford parent that you heard there earlier in the audio. But again, that's not a parent that understands the depth of the evil and manipulation. They just don't get it. The board members really aren't in control, whether they be elected officials or not. It's the globalists at the top which again happen to be Zionists, and, and that's what it is. And these individuals, again, are, are pulling the puppet strings, and they are the octopus. That's the way that it works. Here's another example. And this is an interesting one. In fact, I'm going to read this. 
because this proves how deceptive these school board members can be even against their own members and even against their own members who are attempting to do the right thing because, again, every now and again, you'll get a school board member who doesn't want to play ball and they, they aren't a globalist and they, and they want to give power back to the parents. But check this out. This is from Alpha, let's see, alphanews.com. And it's titled, Elk River Board Censures Pro-Parent School Board Members. Some think the board is setting the stage to remove them. This requires a little bit of analysis, and, uh, and this is an interesting one. It says the following here. Two Elk River School Board members who were elected to a pro-parent platform, on a pro-parent platform, rather, say that they are being intimidated by their colleagues after the board voted to censure them for misconduct Monday night. It says a standing room only crowd listened as school board attorney Michael Waldsberger uh, read the allegations against newly elected board members John Anderson and Mindy Freeberg before presenting a censure resolution which the board voted on and approved. Anderson and Freeberg were elected to the ISD 728 board in 2022. And this is based out of Minnesota. So here we go. It says, quote, They want us off the board, but they aren't going to get rid of me that easy, Freeberg said. Allegations of misconduct included being late or unprepared for meetings, speaking to legislators or constituents without authority, inquiring about curriculum, and failing to communicate with Superintendent Dan Bittman, the board's employee, in a timely manner. Now, first of all, none of that is illegal, and none of that breaks any contracts. If someone shows up late, doesn't matter. If, if someone is unprepared, quote-unquote, that's interpretation. You would need hard proof. And even if they aren't prepared for a meeting, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're an elected official. They can be as late and unprepared as they want to be if any of it's true, which clearly it's not. It's all just petty allegations that they, again, put on a piece of paper, they all sign it, and they say, yes, uh, you engaged in all of these things, when in fact they probably never did. But if you get the majority of people saying it, well, they know that that's all it takes sometimes. It says, in addition, Anderson was accused of making inappropriate comments in the workplace, interfering with the work of the superintendent, and disparaging the superintendent to community members whom Waldsberger failed to identify. So, the lawyer is lying. Uh, it says, although the community members were not identified, Waldsberger said investigators had no reason to believe their stories were fabricated. Well, that's funny. So the district's investigating themselves, basically. You have district investigators now being weaponized against their own board members because the board members are standing up for parents and the other board members aren't. Do you see what a secret society this is? If you get a couple of members of a secret society who, who don't want to be a part of that secret society inside of that society, they, they attempt to chop their heads off. No different than a mason. 
It's the same kind of mentality by and large. They disparage their character. Uh, you know, they, they censure them, quote unquote, to the public and say that they're not playing ball. They're not agreeing with us. And that's why they have to go. It then says this. It says, after presenting the findings, Waldsberger presented the board with four options. Do nothing, issue a verbal warning, censure, which is a written warning, or removal. He prepared the censure resolution in advance. Anderson and Freeberg said that they've done nothing outside of the scope of their duties as board members. I believe them. It says, quote, if I ask questions during the board meeting, they said I was unprepared, uh, Freeberg said. Quote, it's my job as a board member to ask questions. I ask questions during the meeting so the public hears, but the other board members would get annoyed. Without questions, you never get real discussion on policies. That's true. And, and, and they're right that there are endless board members, in fact, it's most of them, in school districts across the United States that don't ever want a discussion. They simply bring up an agenda item, and then they vote on it, and then that's it, and then they move on. They don't ever bring it up or what impact it has on the public or the students or the teachers or whoever it's supposed to impact. They just bring it up, vote, move on. It then says, both Anderson and Freeberg said that they've been intimidated by the superintendent and board members since they assumed their post and were unaware of the specific findings against them until Monday's school board meeting, leaving them unable to prepare a defense. Quote, Mindy took out a 12-year school board veteran, business owner, by a pretty big margin, unquote, Anderson said. He, he's, the superintendent, been after us since day one, or from day one, I'm realizing that he keeps a list of every transgression. Now, why would that be the case? The superintendent, again, you have to keep in mind who these people are. They're secret society members. They're from the club. They're from the matrix. They're from these, these factories where they're born and bred. The reason that a superintendent would go after a board member is because they don't want the board members to vote against anything that the superintendent proposes. And, and I should say this, and this is kind of the, the real big one, they don't want, the, su the superintendent doesn't want to get fired. Because if they end up getting a majority on the board, well, that's the first move you make, isn't it? You fire the superintendent, you get rid of them. And he's afraid of that. But he, this, is where, this is where Sun Tzu comes into play because he's destroying himself without even knowing he's destroying himself as a superintendent. He's, he's targeting board members, thinking that that's somehow going to galvanize the public in his favor. He's an idiot, and he should be fired just for being an idiot and being a strategic idiot at that too. It continues here, and it says, Bittman said that none of the members were aware of the findings or had a hard copy of the report prior to Monday's meeting, which was a decision made by the board's attorney. So, who do you fire in the future? You fire the board's attorney. You see, these people expose themselves constantly. You, you get to find out what person played what role in the scheme. You keep a giant list of all of these idiots, and then you fire them in the future if you get the you know, majority of the board. Again, removing a superintendent is the least of your worries. That should be the first move you make. Then you fire your treasurer. Then you take an entire bulldozer to the district office and you get rid of every single secretary. Then you fire your lawyer, too. You get rid of all of them. And then you start over. 
I guarantee you'll find more, uh, you know, citizen individuals who who maybe have children who go to the district who could do those jobs so much easier and more objectively and fairly than the people who currently have the positions. And again, these are the moves that, uh, you know, that a rabid dog makes. This is what happens when they've been caught. They circle the wagons, they panic, and then they start shooting and firing indiscriminately, not knowing that uh, they're giving away their position on everything. It says, quote, according to Bittman, the censure resolution, quote, puts individuals on notice that continued violations could result in additional action taken by the school board, unquote. And then, quote, it is our hope that the board can return to a focus on the district's core mission and values, doing what's best for the students. This is a goal we all share in our community, he said. You better get in line, it said, quote, unquote. This is the next portion. It says the message is very clear. According to Minnesota uh, Representative Walter Hudson, a Republican out of Albertville, Uh, Members who don't fall in line may find themselves on the wrong side of aggressive action, he said. This was the first step in removing these members from the board. There is a disconnect between the political will of these communities and the school districts that are supposed to serve them, Hudson said. This is a huge story. This deserves national attention. You heard me bring it up here regarding the local school district where I live. The woman who won the the most recent election is already being intimidated and harassed by board members and by the superintendent this is already taking place they're not letting her even take a tour of the buildings she hasn't even taken the oath yet it's it's amazing so it says here the school board as a self-policing organization and under Minnesota statutes can remove members from the board and then fill the vacancy. The board chair has special powers to open investigations and initiate a vote for removal. There is no appeals process. They can get rid of them anytime they want. Which means let's say they do. Let's say that the ISD 728 district gets rid of the two board members who were voted in that go against the other board members who were there. What's the response from the public? What should the public do? What's the one thing the public should do if and when that happens? I'm not even going to say it because I think that you know what that is. Because what that would do is it would crush the whole district. And the superintendent wouldn't be able to wiggle his way out of it because he'd lose his job. And then the board members would all lose their jobs. See how this works? It's so easy and so simple. It's, It's not even funny how easy it is to destroy a school district. These dummies operate on your participation. If you keep participating, they keep existing. It says, quote, from the moment they got on the board as conservative members, they've had an uh, antagonistic relationship with the five other board members, the superintendent and the staff in the school district, Hudson said. It all came to a head at Monday's meeting. It continues, and it says, board chair Holly Thompson ordered an investigation into alleged violations of protocol procedure and policy in August. Hudson said that the, th- that the threat of removal at Monday's meeting was thinly veiled. Quote, you'd better not talk to staff. You'd better not 
talk to your own constituents. You'd better not ask questions afternoon on a Friday. You'd better not rock the boat. You better not vote no without telling somebody first, he said. You'd better get in line. You'd better start deferring and telling us how awesome we are. You'd better start doing that or you're going to be off this body, unquote. (laughs) Wow. The balls. That's incredible. Other board members don't get to control other board members like this. This isn't how it works. But ladies and gentlemen, if, if this is what you're willing to accept, then the dictatorship is exactly what you deserve. It says, according to Hudson, self-government implies that a community's values should be, re- should be reflected in how policy is set and implemented. Hudson said that the community votes 65 to 35 conservative, but has a school board that votes for progressive policies. Well, they're stupid then. It says, quote, our community is very deep red, yet you go to the school districts and school board meetings, and it sounds like you're listening to dissertations from Berkeley, he said. Yeah, I bet. The reason for that is because the teachers' union is an unofficial outgrowth of the Democratic Party. It is a virtual monopoly on the electoral workings that result in who is on the school board. They organize and box out any potential opposition, unquote. Waldsberger frequently referenced District Policy 209, which outlines the requirements for how school board members are to conduct themselves. Bittman said that the board's independent counsel, quote-unquote, confirmed the violations of the policy, which in many cases were acknowledged by the individuals in question. But Hudson believes that the censure resolution was an exercise in character assassination and an abuse of the district's policies. There's more here, about three more paragraphs. Bear with me. This is interesting. It says, quote, it was very clear in the way that they presented it, that their idea of preparation for meetings means that you have to have no questions. If you're prepared, that means you understand what's going to happen and you approve of it, Hudson said. If you don't approve, or if you're going to vote against something, you will have a problem. That's indicative of the fact that you weren't prepared to deal with it. Any questions you have should be made should have been rather asked prior to the meeting and should have been resolved between you and the superintendent before the meeting. So if you're questioning or antagonistic or critical of any policy or curriculum or anything that's taking place in the district, that's an indication that you weren't prepared to come to the meeting, unquote. Yeah, that's not, that's not the way that it works. The reason that these board meetings are in an open forum is so that everybody can hear what everybody thinks about what's going on. The sad part is when they go into what's called executive session and they talk behind closed doors, they all attempt to try to get on the same page before they bring their one world message to the, to the actual public. I'm telling you, you know, it, it can't get more corrupt, ladies and gentlemen. So district leaders are hiding behind policy 209 to shield themselves from criticism, according to Hudson. They've abused the policy in order to insulate the school staff and the superintendent from any meaningful scrutiny of how policy is being implemented. If you don't trust what you're being told by the superintendent, you can't go go over his head or around him and actually engage directly with staff and ask them any questions. Uh, You have to just trust that the superintendent is telling you 
that what they are telling you is true and accurate and complete. Because they refuse to do that, both Mindy and John, because they're actually interested in digging into the details and understanding the on-the-ground reality of what's happening in the school district, that's considered a violation of protocol and policy. Yeah. It's not really, of course. He's, he's just saying how they're interpreting it, but right. They get to ask any questions they want, and as board members, they get to talk about anything they want, and they get to talk to anybody they want, anytime they want. It says, quote, this interview, uh, this interview, the interrogation was just kind of looking for a crime, looking for something. I just think it's terrible what's going on here. I have no shame for what I've done, Anderson said. Freeberg agreed, saying the district threw stuff at the wall to see if anything would stick. It then wraps up and says, as a school board member, I did things like ask questions at school board meetings, held public meetings for constituents to express their opinions and concerns, asked for curriculum information that is school board work, she said. It's a sad day when our valued, valuable rather, tax dollars are wasted in an attempt to find something wrong. I work for the people. This is a sham of an investigation, and this won't stop me from talking to the people. It didn't work. I'm focused on bettering the lives of our students, teachers, and faculty, and I will continue advocating for parental involvement, academics, and freedom in ISD 728, unquote. Now, here's what I'm going to do. This is really interesting, I think. This is, this is massive, as the Hudson representative, the guys who, who, whose name is Hudson, as he said earlier. He goes through this whole board meeting where these allegations are listed and all hell breaks loose. He goes through this in a YouTube video. I'm going to link that YouTube video in the description below if you actually want to watch this. It really is interesting because, as he points out throughout the video, it's actually the district lawyer who's, the, who's really the, the big asshole in the room because he's talking down to these two board members, forgetting or not caring that the board members are the lawyer's boss. See, that's why when you get control of a school board on, on, a, on the so-called conservative side, you have to fire the district lawyer immediately. You immediately make a motion to fire him on the spot, and then you pass it, you take your vote. If you have the majority and you all say yes, the district lawyer's gone. The district lawyers are always the slaves to whoever is the majority on the board. If the majority of the board wants the wants the lawyer to be the headhunter, then the lawyer will become the headhunter. What this lawyer doesn't seem to understand is, is he's put all of his chips into one basket. I'll take it a step further. If anybody lives there or wherever you live and you don't like your district lawyer, in particular one like this who outs himself in such a public way, all you have to do is you all file complaints, ethics complaints against his, his legal license. That's it. You all contact the, the, the bar association and you go after his legal license because he's overstepping his bounds when it comes to the way that he engages with these public officials who are his boss. And at the same time, it's, he's clearly engaging in conspiracy to commit fraud by making, by making these things up and using these large blanket terms in order to get rid of these two board members. But again, this is also Sun Tzu, like I said earlier. These people are, are destroying themselves without really any effort 
whatsoever. They're the ones engaging in all the effort, but they're all they're doing is destroying themselves in the process. It really is incredible. But but this Hudson representative guy, whose last name is Hudson, uh, like I said, he was in the room when the board meeting actually occurred, and then he created a YouTube video about it. I will link that in the description below if you're interested. I've seen it, and it is remarkable. It's it's almost two hours long, but I'm telling you. It really is worth it. You're going to get a real lesson in school board corruption when you watch this. It's It, it really is incredible. So I'm going to move on, but uh, I did want to make mention of that because it's terrible. Let's see. Here's another one. This is from Just the News. Again, this old saw keeps coming back. Harvard early applications plummet as campus is rocked by anti-Semitism and plagiarism. No, that's not why. They're not going there because it's overpriced Marxist bullshit. That's why they're not going. That's why people don't want to go to Harvard. It's not because people are engaging in free speech and anti-Semitism isn't even a real thing. So there's that. There's also this out of Alberta, Canada. Explicit drug use brochures yanked from high school wellness expo after pushback. One of the pamphlets teaches children how to prepare your crack pipe. Pretty cool. Not really. Uh, Danielle Smith, the premier of Alberta, says this is simply outrageous. There's no such thing as a safe meth or crack use. So No such thing as safe meth or crack use. No kidding. Uh, we will be reviewing funding agreements with the organization who felt it was appropriate to teach medicine hat teenagers how to use illicit and deadly drugs. And they include pictures, and there you go. The school board also objected. It wasn't that convenient. Like they didn't know what was available. It's incredible. Uh, here's another one. This is out of Michigan. Parents sue Michigan School District for transitioning daughter without their consent. The social, this is the social transitioning. This is where they start to have conversations with the child about whether or not they feel like they're gay or they're not. Whether or not they feel like they're, you know, the member of the opposite gender or not. This is sexual grooming, which leads, of course, to mutilation and more confusion and suicide and drug addiction and a thousand other things. This is, this is your school system. This is your American K-12 school system. And it's not an accident. This is all a giant on purpose. That's the hard pill for people to swallow, that there's no avoiding this. This is working its way through teachers' unions, school board members, superintendents, to communize the whole system and get everybody on the same degenerate, devil-ridden page. That's the whole point. Why do you think they want to fill these schools with more counselors and mental health experts? It's because they're trying to normalize this as much as humanly possible. They're in the grooming business. It's what they do. One final education story, typical this time of year. Very typical. School districts cancel Christmas, but gladly celebrate Pride Month. That's right. Swap out the tinsel for rainbow flags, it says. A school district in Pennsylvania sent out a memo to all employees ordering them to not celebrate Christmas with children, despite the fact that just six months ago they were openly celebrating Pride Month. The memo instructs school bus drivers in Wallingford, Pennsylvania, not to decorate their vehicles with anything specific to the Christmas holiday. 
and to immediately remove any other decorations relating to a specific religion. Now, here's the deal. This is, this is both predictable, but it's also two-sided. The reason that they don't want any Christmas decorations or anything like that isn't just because they're godless monsters. That's not the only reason. They're doing it because they are fearful of any left-wing backlash that will come their way. So what do they do? Well, by backing down on something like this, they're catering to the mob. They're catering to the godless left-wing mob. Because a Muslim parent will complain, because a Jewish parent will complain, and they'll say, well, why, why can't we have this, or why can't we have that, or whatever else. Y you just don't cater to the mob. Again, th this, is, this is why this is the battlefield, and this is why the battlefield has to be absent of children. So pulling your children out of these environments, as I've beaten that dead horse a million times, and will continue to do so, that's why that's the only option here. Because then it stops being a battlefield at all. See, they're always using children as the pawns in this entire back-and-forth political game. And they're, and they're getting them normalized to this kind of behavior. Yes, they want to remove Christmas. Yes, they want to remove Christ, which is ultimately the goal. These school districts have been doing that since the beginning. You know, the introduction of the word holiday. Enjoy your holiday break. It's always been Christmas break, and everybody knows that. But the word manipulation is just a piece of the puzzle. Once you remove then the visual aspect of Christmas, uh, you know, in these in the day in and day out lives of children, well. They might grow up to become godless adults, and that's no good either. Doesn't matter how many decorations and things they have in the house. Driving the wedge between the child and the parent is always the goal. This is one of the ways that they do that, and like I said, they do it to cater to the mob also. You can't cater to the mob. The mob has to be destroyed. You want to destroy the mob? Stop playing the mob's game. Very simple. Okay. Two jab-related things here very quickly. The first one, you may have heard that Pfizer has acquired the largest oncology drug cancer, of course, drug company that exists in the world um, by buying it for $43 billion. That's billion with a B. And there you go. So why is it that Pfizer would be buying the largest drug manufacturer in the world for cancer drugs? It's almost like Pfizer has something planned. It's almost like Pfizer knows that their shots are causing massive cancers and very quick cancers, commonly referred to now as turbo cancers. Interesting. Diagnosed with stage four and then boom, bam, you're dead before you know it. Not to mention you have to basically take into account the mind frame of the individual who would want to take a Pfizer drug for anything, let alone what they would be... Uh, told is some kind of a cancer treatment. That person would have to be a certain kind of foolish. And speaking of foolish, and I will wrap up with this, ladies and gentlemen, this is from Dr. Mackis's uh, X account. Here's what it states, quote, U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Jared Little, commander of public health activity in Hawaii, died suddenly on November 24th of 2023 got his first Pfizer COVID-19 mRNA vaccine on December 23rd of 2020, 
and was the poster boy for illegal COVID-19 mRNA vaccine mandates in the U.S. military. Oops. Dead. I'm telling you, somewhere along the way, somebody's going to figure out that going along with the crowd and just doing your job, quote-unquote, is not a life-saving characteristic. He certainly figured it out the hard way, and, well, let's hope more people are learning, whether that be the hard way or the easy way. But there you go. Now, again, how many people was he responsible for killing in dishing out these shots and encouraging people to do so? I'm sure the death toll is incalculable. Absolutely disgusting. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Again, check the link in the description below if you're interested in watching the breakdown of that board meeting from a local city council member. It really is interesting. And I will catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.